Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Like me, you love music that reminds you of those great, great groups from the 50s, 60s, 70s that had horns. I mean, it was just some great stuff like Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I love Tower of Power, all those groups. We have got a group like that, and they're headed out of Las Vegas, but they're going to take over the country here. It's called the Soul Juice Band, and they got a new album coming out next year, but they got a couple of singles out now. And with us is the lead vocalist. Dave Tatlock. Well, Dave, really excited about this. First of all, I imagine you've been hearing from a lot of people like the Tower Power stuff, like uh, some of those uh, things that they grew up with, because bringing horns into the band is kind of cool. Yeah, when we started the band, I just, I've always been really influenced by Soul and James Brown and Flying the Family Stone, and there were all these, always these horn lines that kind of get imprinted in your mind. When you're listening to these music, with this music, and so when I started this idea of this funk and soul band and this band I'd, I'd had in my mind for a while, it just I just had to have some horns in it. But in today's music scene, everybody I talked to said, "You can't have a bunch of horns in your band. You'll never make any money. What are you doing?" And uh, through a lot of different circumstances, we ended up with five horn players in the band. So we got two trumpets a trombone, a tenor sax, and then we added a berry sax, and we write all our charts for those five parts. And, and the problem is when you do this stuff live and you hear it, and I'm the band leader, I'm like, I can't not have these horns on these songs. It sounds so amazing. There are times I'm performing that the stage volume, I hear all those five horns and all the other instruments, and it's just kind of a magical thing to hear this mix of sound. And once you hear that, you can't go back. You can't, like, once you have those horns on things, you can't get rid of them. You can't go away from it. So it just adds so much. It's such a wall of sound when we perform live that I've just always liked horns. I thought I'd have a couple horns that ended up being five, and but that sound is so big and large, and there's so much going on that you can't ever go back to not having it. So. Well, if anybody went to the House of Blues over in the Mandalay Bay before all this pandemic stuff, you were playing there a lot. We were playing there twice a month. We kind of had a residency there for two years. We 
through a show called The Get Down uh, for Child Haven because we're kind of partnered with the Clark County foster care system, and we would collect items, uh, clothes, games, toys, and uh, we would take them and drop those off every month to Child Haven, which is a, a temporary facility for foster children that don't have a foster home. They stay there on the campus, and and so we we made a night out of it, a place that people could just go and groove and dance. Really, that's kind of our music is just, it's really about groove. It's about man, I can't sit here and listen. I kind of got to get up and move. And so, you know, in Vegas, you have to play cover music, too. You, you, it's real hard to get away with doing all original music. You got to play some cover music in most of the venues, too. So we kind of combine our original music with great covers. Um, and we put horns on a lot of covers that don't have wow. horns on them. <laughs> like, like when we do Car Wash or we do Prince Baby I'm a Star or something, we have five horns on those songs. And and people end up, they kind of like our version even better than the original because they hear the horn parts and they're like, this stuff's amazing. Like, will you guys record this? And like, no, we, we've never recorded that cover yet or whatever. What I think is even funnier is some of the cover songs we do, and you know this because you listen to Tower Power and you were probably listening to music in the 70s and stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll throw in a Wayne Cochran song or we'll throw in a Meter song or we'll throw in uh, Edgar Winter song. And oh, people yeah. are like, man, that original was amazing. And we're <laughs> like, uh, that's a cover song. You just haven't heard it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's some great stuff. And I'm I'm so excited about this because I think this is just takes music to a whole nother level. We've been looking for some of that. I mean, a lot of stuff you hear and it's basically all compressed music. And, uh, you, you know, it all kind of sounds the same. And it's just so great to hear that sound again. The wall of sound, like you mentioned there, that's got to be great, not only for people that, like myself, that kind of grew up with some of that, but I'm thinking it's got to be great for uh, people that haven't heard it before. It's, you know, it's like seeing a symphony for your first time. <laughs> there are sometimes we do shows, like I think specifically at Container Park, uh, we'll be on the stage there, and there'll be two-year-old kids there, and they'll be dancing the whole time we play, and they haven't been exposed to a lot of this sound, you know, seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, 24-year-old, you know, they're like, wow, they're just, you know, they kind of watch like, and are trying to take in, like, I haven't heard all these instruments before in any music. I'm not used to this. We find we get, we really find that people of all age groups enjoy the music because the, the people that are younger, that didn't grow up on it, they haven't really heard it live and they don't know what it sounds like. And there's so many new sounds and so much rich, complex uh, melodies. And there's a lot of musicianship. You know, we have a lot of people who are really good on their instruments and we value musicianship. But then people like you say, like you or other people that listen to Tower of Power, Sly and the Family Stone or Chicago, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, like. This has hit me in some place that I haven't been hit for a little while. And the fact that we're a new band and we're creating new music, you know, the thing I think is different about us is we're not really a horn band. We're a band with horns. Right. We're a songwriting band. And it's all, so I grew up listening to the Eagles. And if you listen to the Eagles and other, you know, songwriting is so important. So we really focus on writing a great song and then melding all the pieces to the song, including the horn. So, um, you know, that's really what we're focused on is being a really great songwriting band 
and we use our our voices to bring out the message of the song. And so that I think that's what why we're not a horn band per se. We're a band with horns, you know, but we're really a songwriting band. Well, I also think people that sell heavy-duty musical equipment are going to love this because, you know, you listen to this, and I got an advanced listen to the album that's going to be coming out, and I loved it, and mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, this is too good for just on my phone here. we got to hook it up because this is one of those that reminds me where if yeah. you really enjoy it, you got to sit in the middle of the room and have the speakers blasting at you. Yeah, it's really, and to be honest, when we mixed and mastered the album, we were just really struggling because the way we want to master it and mix it we want it to feel like a live show. Well, the live show is really heavy. It's got a lot of energy in it. And today's modern ways that people listen to music, either on their phone or an AirPod, it can't handle a lot of those frequencies. It's just too much for those speaker designs and stuff. So we actually, we had to kind of thin it out a little bit to just make it work across many different ways that people listen to music. But the way to listen to this music is like you're saying it, you want to listen to it through some good speakers because there's there's a lot of frequencies in the music. It's it's very dense music. That's all I can say is it's like once you listen to the whole album, it's like you need a break. You got to go outside and <laughs> and take a breath because you're really getting beat up and assaulted by frequencies. There's a lot of frequencies in the music, and so it's heavy. You know, it's really heavy stuff. Sometimes I- You know, last year we had Jeffrey Osborne on, and he said that was so frustrating to put an album together because you're so limited now because of you, as you said, the way we listen to music has changed, and it's that's why we want to go out and see you live too. But you know, before yeah. we, we're going to get into all that stuff, and I want to talk more about the album, but I got to ask you. So this is obviously different. We don't see a lot of these groups. Kind of give us a story. How did this ever come to be? I mean, I know you like this music, but what's your story? I'll try to put it in a in a short form. So I grew up in the country in southern Indiana, and I, all I listened to was Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, and my dad would drink Pabst Blue Ribbon while we listened to that stuff, and I thought that's all there was. Until I was about 15, my brother went to college, and he brought home a record called Parliament. <laughs> and I listened to that record, then I got exposed to B.B. King and James Brown, and then when I went to college, I actually sang in the Black Gospel Choir at Purdue, I just got exposed to soul funk music and that soul music, you know, just the stuff that just had a lot of stank on it, really just the minor pentatonic scale. I just got so infatuated with that. I loved that music and that expression. And then when my older brother, so I played in some blues bands and stuff like that um, here and there, but I was raising my family. I was working as a medical professional. And then my older brother passed away in 2015, and I was packing up his boxes and stuff. He passed away unexpectedly. And while I was there, I was like, man, one day somebody's going to pack up all my boxes and everything. And I was like, what haven't I done in my life that I need to do in my life before I'm out of here? You know, one thing was this band, this idea of this band that's been in my head, and I'd never really put uh, any action forward on it. And I said, man, i got to start my band. And then I came back home. I was a high school teacher. 
And a couple months later, I'm buying a ukulele from my daughter at Guitar Center, and the guy messing around on it, selling me the ukulele, I just looked at him and I said, hey, man, you want to be in my band? And I, I thought to myself, why did I just ask him to be in my band? I don't have a band yet. And he thought I already had a band, and I just needed a guitar player. And he said, yeah, you know, let, let, let me know when you guys rehearse or whatever. And I talked to my best friend, who's an amazing uh, musician, who's a keyboard player, plays six instruments, a guy named Dave Rogers, who plays the organ and the keyboards on all the on the album. And I asked him about being in a band, and he said, yeah, I think it's a good time to be in a band. And so it just kind of came together. And like I said, soul, funk, gospel, that bass was programmed into me for you know the last 15 years, 20 years. And that's what comes out in our music is that soul, that funk. And I grew up, I listened to classic Southern rock, too. I listened to country. So you kind of get all those influences, but the base of the music is really soul music. Like James Brown was probably one of my biggest influences because I grew up in a rough, I grew up in a rough kind of childhood. I was very poor, grew up in the trailer park. My brother was crippled. You know, my mom was a single mom. and We never had any money, and I kind of had to pay for school myself and make my own way. And the funk music part of James Brown and his message is like, open the door, give me a chance. If you do, then I'll, I'll, I'll be successful, but I need an opportunity. I need a chance. And I, I would listen to his music and it was like, man, I, that's what funk music is like. Just give me a shot. Give me a chance. I can do it just as good as anybody else, but I need an opportunity. And, uh, that's kind of what drove me a lot when I was a younger person, you know, and a young adult. So, and I love that vision of parliament because I get that. And it kind of sounds, your story is very similar in the sense of where, you always look at Parliament, and the music's great, but it looks like they just uh, started picking people out of the audience, brought them up, and all of a sudden it just right. kind of goes together. You know? Well, it was those sounds, like that, that song Flashlight, and Psycho Alpha Disco Beta Bio Aqua Dulu, like those synthesizers, <laughs> those sounds, the soulfulness and all. It was like, you know, if you'd only listened to Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Quiet Riot as some kid in a little town in and when you hear that, that blew your mind. It like completely changed your whole universe of what music is. And that opened me up to the whole experience of soul, funk music, and everything else that was from that point on. Yeah, and you do get a little taste of, like, you know, you said Southern rock and stuff. You do have a little bit of that, which I think makes it interesting, too. It's kind of fun to take some of that music that we all like and kind of funkifies it a bit. Yeah, like the, the song Getting Better With Time, that's like... The real southerny rock type of real rusty rock, like Almond Brothers type feel song, and that was the first song we ever wrote, actually. And uh, and then a guy named uh, uh, Brother Joel here in Vegas plays slide guitar, uh, pedal steel. We put him on that, and that just took it to a whole nother level down that lane. But that's the one song that's kind of really kind of brings out that rootsy, rocky southern rock robert randolph type feel you know on one of our songs so well i'm kind of curious now you got a big group I mean, there's all sorts of people all coming from different backgrounds and so forth how does that all work together as a as a team you know you said you're a songwriting group but you got a lot of input there is it one of those things where everybody participates or no some just say hey you run with that we'll play or how does that work yeah the songwriting really happened from three three of the guys that started the band that's me 
the, our first guitar player, a guy named Craig Morgan, and then the keyboard player named David Rogers, we would get together and write songs, you know, and I, I do mainly lyrics or I do riffs and stuff. Craig was really good at coming up with a lot of different riffs and song ideas, but David Rogers, he finishes the song. <laughs> he, we just call him the finisher. Like you can bring any incomplete idea to him and his, his ability to put new chords or new voicings. And he's very, he's very ADHD when it comes to music. So if it stays too simple, he gets bored. So that's why you'll hear so many of these little changes of transitions and things. You know, the music is very busy. There's a lot going on in it. And that's really his, you know, his thumbprint on the music. He's going to add a lot of stuff that maybe the average person wouldn't put in a song. <laughs> Yeah, or make the transition change in a way that you weren't sure of. Now, he grew up in you know the black church in Chicago, so he played organ and drums and bass, and so he's going to have that black gospel flair with a lot of stuff, a lot of changes. You know, jazz. He loves. He actually loves R and B music. You know, that's he's a producer and an engineer, and he does a lot of R and B stuff too. But all that flavor in the song. Really, he's really the guy that's adding all the spice and the flavor to a lot of those songs. Now, the other guys, we always invited them. We said, hey, if you got an idea, come to the songwriting sessions and you'll be one of the songwriters. But a lot of times those guys are like, eh, I don't really have an idea or just let us know. And then Isaac Tubb, one of the trumpet players, if we finish a song idea and have the rhythm section kind of pretty much uh, completed, then we'll ask him, hey, what do you want to do with horns on this? And so, like, the song Something from Something, we were going to throw that song out. Like, after we did the rhythm section, it was like, man, this song's just not strong enough to make it. But we gave it to him, and he put the horn parts on it, and now it's like Dave Rogers, that's his favorite song on the whole album because the horn part just made the song work so much better we usually have Isaac, Dave writes horn parts too for some of the songs. Um, but it's really kind of three people that wrote this album for the most part. I got the funk, but I ain't no punk. Love me or hate me, it's never maybe. I'm from a little town, but I like James Brown. Got love and peace. Well, I was going to ask you about the horn part, because I know you must envision that the three of you sit there and you kind of get an idea how, is it, how it's going to sound, but it's so intricate. Is it something where you let the guys play it and then you kind of develop, oh, I like this? I mean, is it exactly the way you write it, or does it kind of develop and evolve over, uh, over the process? Usually... With the songs we've done, we have written the parts. Dave and Isaac are strong enough at writing horn parts and the instrumentation that they can kind of hear in their head what they want and they can make it work on paper. Now, as we play it live, so one thing that's kind of unique about our band is we've done so many live shows compared to how much music we've released. So we still haven't released one album yet. This first album is going to be our first album, but we've been doing live shows almost six years. So when you think about 100 shows, as you play live, you start making little changes in songs. <laughs> the more you go, 
the band, the horn players will just try something. And Dave, like I told you, Dave Rogers is kind of ADHD. So during a live show, he might just start doing a line on a song and the horn players just follow him. And then that, then that ends up becoming part of the song later on that we didn't write in. So yeah. it does happen. Well, you know, down in Vegas like that, do you, um, are you in contact with Lon Bronson? Cause he plays some of this music. He's playing pretty much all covers, but he's playing a lot of some of that music. Yeah, what when I first came to Vegas, it was 2004, the two people I would always go watch music were Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns and Lon Bronson. And those those two bands I just thought were fabulous. And Lon's an amazing musician. His band is always fabulous. Every time I saw him play, I was just I was thrilled with what they do and how they did it. So, Lon, I think I think he's seen us once or twice live, but some sometimes you know, when I started the band, all the guys that are in the band, I said, look, we're trying to do something pretty crazy. We're trying to be an original music band with a lot of horns. And this isn't, this band isn't about making a lot of money. So if you really want to be in a band to make a bunch of money, this is not the band to be in. We're really just trying to do something special. Hopefully one day we'll travel around the world and play our music and we'll get paid to do it. But that's going to be a long road to get there. So our guys know when they play with us, hey, we may not make quite as much per person, even though we'll get paid like other bands in town, but it's it's not necessarily the highest paying gig, what we're doing. So sometimes we'll have subs because a guy gets a chance to play with, you know, Lionel Richie for a thousand bucks or something, and we'll have a sub in. I think Lon has seen us once or twice when we've had some subs and stuff, but... I don't know if he's seen the full band or seen what we do, you know, completely. But I think he saw us at the Sand Dollar actually one night. So yeah, well, I just I just saw it as kind of a natural thing. You know, like you said, the Santa Fe horns are great too. You're a great live band. I mean, I and it sounds like that's what you love doing too. So I, I, I'm guessing this whole pandemic was just awful. We were really had a lot of momentum kind of going. We had played the biggest thing that fits us our music festivals. That's the thing we do better than anything else we do. That's the thing that's the best fit for us. We should be traveling around the world playing in music festivals because our our live show is, the, I mean, I'm biased, right? But I think it's something pretty special for an audience to see and experience live. Every time people see us live, they say the same thing. Oh, I've seen videos and I've heard some of your music, but I had no idea that it was this because our show is a big show live. It's a big showroom music festival stage show. I dance, you know, like I grew up listening to James Brown and Prince, and, and that's one thing a lot of guys don't dance while they sing like those guys did, and that's something that I do. So there's, and our horn players dance. There's, you know, we have a fun time. We have a good time. We have jokes. We have just different things we do live that you won't hear on any album or, or any video. The pandemic was really destructive because we were on a roll. We had just played a music festival and been uh, one of the main uh, artists with Fishbone over at Zion Canyon. And that's really, that's really our greatest desire is to get on these festival stages, you know, Newport jazz festival, Coachella, all these things where we can really just play and interact with a large crowd. We're kind of a large crowd band. So it was really, it's been really hard. We haven't, We've probably only done three or four shows since the pandemic started live, and it has been difficult. It's oh, like, yeah. it's, that's kind of our lifeblood is doing those live shows. So and we focused on just getting the music ready to release and 
and those kind of things. And we have an online store now and a better website and you know, so we're trying we're trying to get that stuff together. But as an indie artist, you know, I work a day I work a day gig, a lot of our other guys work a day gig, so we don't have a lot of extra time, but we're you know, we're trying to get all that stuff together too. But yeah, we really miss Oh yeah, doing a lot of live performing. Just a matter of people knowing, knowing what you do, and uh, it's got to go, I guess, really through word of mouth. We're going to have to be primarily organic, word of mouth. People have to tell their friends about us. You know, some of the best bands I I listen to now. You know, my daughter said, "Hey, Dad, check this out on Spotify." And like a band like Wolfpack or James Blake or different music that I love. It was just somebody saying, hey, you ought to listen to them. You would like them, probably. And i just check it out and listen to it. So hopefully that's what will happen to our music. But I think there's quite a few, you know, there's more than one song on this album that I think it could be on the radio with the right situation or with the right DJ that wants to give it a shot. And I think people would resonate with the music. But, you know, you got to get an opportunity. Well, and they're hearing it today. I want to know, though, tell people... What's out there right now? You got a couple of singles, how they can get it and so forth, and then we'll talk about the album next for next year. Yeah, um, depending on when this airs, first single off the album's already been released. It's called Brand New Day. And it's probably the the song that gives you most the the best idea of who we are as an as a band, but we are really hard to describe to people. I don't know how to describe us really because as you listen to this whole album, I think you start to understand this is a big work of art. There's a lot going on here, and it's not just, you can't just target us into one specific genre. So the second single that's going to come out November 12th is a song that we wrote specifically for women, and it's called Still Beautiful to Me. I raised daughters, and I was a high school teacher and coached sports with young ladies, and and I often saw how frequently they feel pressure to meet a certain external beauty standard that's imposed on them by the world or by the the models they see or the images they see. The song is really a story. It's kind of a story of uh, a young couple that get together and then the times in life that the woman feels like that she feels ugly or she feels like she's not enough or she feels insufficient or insecure. The, The man that's with her keeps saying, baby, can't you see? You're still beautiful to me. Like, don't worry about it. That's not, I'm not with you because you've got it externally perfect. I'm with you because of who you are. We're going to release a third single to early December. And then after the holiday, we're going to let people do the holidays and do their thing. And then we'll release the full album probably the second week of January. We'll have CDs available and we're going to, we're going to try to make 200 vinyls of the, of the, record i mean i've got to have a vinyl just for myself i I like i gotta have this album on vinyl you know oh yeah because you grew up you know you saw vinyl records you spent you know three hours listening to the music reading the (laughs) you know reading the lyrics looking at the pictures and you know i remember that stuff and the music's made for vinyl like we like we were talking about before well here's what we're gonna do you're gonna let us know uh in december and we'll let people know what the next single is and then we'll have you back uh right in january so people can talk a little about just the album and we're gonna have them uh be able to get a hold of it maybe, maybe you can sign a couple for us we'll give away yeah <laughs> so yeah that would be great well david uh, we're really excited about this it's the soul juice band uh and if they want to go online it's easy enough to follow right your website is 
Yeah, it's it's www.souljuiceband. So it's like apple juice, J-U-I-C-E, souljuiceband.com, all, all together. You know, they can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter some. It's not a big platform for us, but... Um, but yeah, we have a store on the website, so we've got a bunch of merch. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and hats and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we're on YouTube, too, so they, we have a YouTube channel. They can go to that and watch some videos of us. It's a melanin. It's a UN. The color of our skin. We all just brown. The color that we see. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.